you would, go ahead and pull out your Bibles and turn to uh, Proverbs chapter 5. Um, we're going to pick up where we left off last, looking at our study of Proverbs together. Um, it's been a great encouragement to walk through this with you as a church family. Um, I am always amazed at the richness and depth of what I thought I knew pretty well going in and realized I was just scratching the surface as we dug into this together. So I've, I've really enjoyed our time in, in the book of Proverbs. So chapter 5, verse 1, let's pick up where we left off last if you want to follow along with me. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may observe discretion, and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lay hold of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life, her ways are unstable. She does not know it. I want you to notice as the father continues this conversation with his son, how he continually seeks to gain his son's attention. He says in the beginning there, Give attention to my words, he says. Incline your ear to my understanding. I I believe those personal pronouns are intended to communicate that, that the father is speaking from his own personal experience. Wisdom gained through living life. It's as if he's saying, Trust me, son. I know what I'm talking about. And here's the message. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. And this is it. You will be tempted. It's a promise. It's a lesson I've learned along the way. And so hear my words. Give me your attention. In verse 2, it says that the father wants his son to observe discretion. In other words, he wants his son to understand the difference between truth and deception. Between wisdom that brings satisfaction and folly that brings destruction. To know the difference between the two, that's discretion. Let me illustrate it this way. My wife loves to have a fire in the fireplace during the cold winter months. You would not imagine how much wood we go through and how many times she says, Honey, would you... I know, build you a fire, got it. We go through tons of wood because there's nothing really that, there's not many things that Terry enjoys more than just sitting down in front of a nice warm fire, cuddled up in a blanket with a nice warm cup of tea. She just loves it. It's a source of great joy and satisfaction in our home. But let's just say that we did things a little different one day. Let's say I got a harebrained idea and I said, you know what, honey, we've been using that fireplace for years. I'm going to start a fire this morning right in the middle of our living room. Okay? Would we get the same joy and satisfaction from that fire as we did as the one in the fireplace? Absolutely not. In fact, what would have been bringing us joy and satisfaction now threatens to destroy our home, doesn't it? You see, the father is teaching his son the difference between the satisfaction that comes from a life that is lived within the boundaries of God's design, the fire in the fireplace, versus the destruction that comes when we walk away from that design and light a fire in the middle of the floor. One brings great pleasure 
The other brings tremendous destruction. And his father wants his son to know the difference between the two. And so as he makes his point, he introduces a character in the study, in the lesson. And the character he calls an adulteress. And look at the way he describes her in verse 3. It says, verse 3, For the lips of the adulteress drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. The father's warning his son, she's a smooth talker. She knows all the right words to say. And so I want you to stop and think about that for a little bit. What's she saying? What are the right words that she knows to say? I think it's pretty simple. I think she's telling you everything she thinks you might want to hear. Smooth words. She'll convince you that no one understands you like she does. No one appreciates you like she does. No one admires you like she does. She does all she can to inflate your ego with with hollow praise because she's trying to bait you, to pull you away from something. You see, the sweetness of her speech is an attempt to entice you away from the protection of God's design with a promise of something better. See, it's no different than what we saw in the garden. This is the hiss of the serpent who told Eve, you know, God's restrictions are just holding you back. You realize that, don't you? I mean, there's a whole world out there that you're missing out on. There's a lot of life to live. So go ahead, eat, enjoy. Surely you won't die. But what looks so appetizing becomes so bitter when eaten. He says in verse 4, In the end she is as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Well, I've got a treat for you this morning. Wormwood is actually an herb. Okay? And uh, I've got five volunteers set up and ready to go. And I want you to know, I haven't tried anything that you... I mean, I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't already tried myself. And if you have concerned that you might have a parasite in your gut, this would be good for you to take this morning because it'll get washed out right away. Okay? All right? So, five volunteers. I know Russell looks, and just to be kind, here is a lifesaver to follow. There you go. Anybody else? We got some more. Brian? Give it a try. Good. Anybody? Don't take it yet. Hold on to it. Anybody? Yes? I knew John Thompson would. That boy drinks anything. And his buddy... Mr. Vincent, right alongside. I'm not even giving you all mint. You're going to have to live with that for the rest of the service. <laughs> Anybody else? Anybody else? All right, pass it on down. Okay. On the count of three. One, two, three. Drink. How is that? I, I Personally, I felt like it was drinking turpentine. I mean, it's what it tastes like. It's incredibly bitter. It's slightly nauseating. If you do feel sick, please step away. The, okay. Fair enough. But here's the deal. I want you to see the reaction because that's exactly what the Scripture is trying to tell us. And that is the fact that although it may look sweet, it may smell nice, 
you eat of the bitterness of sin and it stays with you. You can't hardly get rid of it. It's nauseatingly bitter. You see, that's what happens with the adulteress. Her words are sweet. But the taste, once you consume it, is nauseatingly bitter. Like the serpent in the garden, she may say that there's no consequences to your betrayal, but it's a lie. Because she entices you with the intent to kill. Now here's the point I don't want you to miss. So listen closely. The adulteress is trying to draw you away. Because she knows that the only way that you can follow her is by first walking away from your commitment to the Lord. It's a trap. She's baiting you. She wants to take you down a different path. But in in order for her to do that, she's got to walk away from the path that... You've got to walk away from the path that you're on. It's a choice that you have to make. It's a conscious decision to compromise. And you are a fool if you think you can go down that road of sin and not get burned. Guys, I know it was kind of fun to taste that bitter herb wormwood, but I don't want you to forget it because I want you to remember the bitterness of the choice to indulge in sin when the adulteress with her sweet words tries to convince you to walk away from the Lord. Because that's a taste you live with for a lifetime if you're not careful. See, the the Father understands the consequence of compromise and the choice to go down that path. So He begins to instruct His Son about that. Look at verse 7. It says, Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give away your vigor to others, your years to the cruel one, lest strangers be filled with your strength and your hard-earned goods go to the house of an alien. Oh, you groan, and you groan at your latter end when your flesh and your body are consumed. And you say, how I've hated instruction and my heart spurned reproof. And I've not listened to the voice of the teachers nor inclined my ear to my instructors. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. The father wants his son to know that the best, most certain way to avoid trouble is to steer clear of it. He says, don't go near the door of her house. Walk around the other way. Don't even get close. Once again, you are a fool. If you play with sin and think that you can control it. See, it's a prideful decision to put yourself in a a situation that you know will stir up a lustful appetite. Allowing yourself to go to certain places on the internet. To watch certain movies. To go to watch certain TV shows, for that matter. to, To listen to certain music. See, the words of an adulteress can take many forms. And inviting them into your mind is like poking a tiger with a stick. Grant, let's just say you go into the zoo one day, you hop over the fence and you get a stick and you start poking a tiger. What's he going to do eventually? He's going to devour you, isn't he? It's the same idea here. 
It will devour you. But when you're young and you lack experience, you look at this and you hear me say these words, and even this morning, I bet there's some of you saying, oh, come on, it's not that big of a deal. You're just exaggerating, you old man. (laughs) I know what you're thinking. But I think that's why the father tells the son in verse 7, listen to me, son. Don't walk away from my words. Trust me, I know what I'm talking about. And then at the beginning of verse 9, he starts to describe the consequences of compromise in your commitment to the Lord. In the next two verses, if you just glance over those, you'll see that he talks about a loss of strength. He talks about a loss of health, a loss of wealth. talks about a loss of honor. And as you see that list, that description, I want you to think about that in the context of what he's already told his son he would gain by following wisdom, by trusting in the Lord. Has he not already said that, that the, the Lord is your strength? That trusting in God gives you length of days and years of life. Not too many weeks ago we talked about how faith in God produces a profit that far exceeds even silver or gold. A prophet more precious than jewels. He's explained how the wise will inherit honor and that if you seek wisdom, she will exalt you. So the father is telling his son this. Now listen closely. The consequence of compromise is the loss of everything that you gain in the pursuit of wisdom. Do you see that? The consequence of compromise is the loss of everything you gain in the pursuit of wisdom. Because you can't have both. The father's wanting his son to know, you've got to make a choice. You will either love the one or hate the other, or, or be devoted to one and despise the other. But you've got to make a choice. And ultimately, you are a slave to the one you obey. You've got to choose. And I think this is a critical point of the father's counsel to his son. He wants his son to know that compromise always, always, always comes with a cost. It it starts to to weaken your defenses. Because after you've done it once, (laughs) it makes it just a little bit easier to do it the next time. Because when you willingly disobey, when you willfully walk away from that which you know is right, your heart starts to harden to the truth. Your ears start to close to wise counsel. You begin to do what is right in your own eyes instead of putting your trust completely and fully in the Lord. And then one day, You wake up and you utter the words the man says in verse 11. Look at that again. And you groan at your latter end, at the end of your days, at the end of your life, when your flesh and your body are consumed. And look at what you say. Oh, how I have hated instruction. My heart spurned reproof. I've not listened to the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to instruction. 
See, this man followed the sweet-sounding lies of the adulteress. And now he groans with regret. But look, it's too late. He's at the end of his life. He's looking back with regret saying, Man, I should have listened. Why didn't I pay attention? I hated being disciplined. I rebelled against it. And now look at my life. I'm so regretful. And there's nothing I can do about it. Because now it's too late. It's not a very pretty picture, is it? See, this man of compromise realizes what a terrible mistake he's made. What a fool he's been. And he's miserable. And all he's got left is regret. And then in verse 14, it says, whatever began in private now becomes public knowledge. It says that in almost in inner, utter ruin, in the midst of the assembly and the congregation, the shame of his private life when nobody else knew has now become a public affair. Because when you start that fire, eventually it will consume you. I believe the father is very, very serious about helping his son understand what it looks like to live a life of compromise. A very vivid picture so that he wouldn't soon forget it. Like, I hope you don't ever forget that bitter taste that you had this morning. Good. Now look at verse 15. Son. Drink water from your own cistern, fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress? and embrace the bosom of a foreigner. For the ways of this man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. His own iniquities be, will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cords of sin. He will die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly he will go astray. See, after describing the ruin of a life of compromise... The Father now explains the delight found within the context of faithful commitment. This is the enjoyment of a fire that remains in the fireplace, just as God designed it. And once again, the description is quite vivid. In fact, as I prepared this message, I thought I might send out a PG-13 label on our passage in Proverbs this week. But the more I thought about it, the more I considered, why would we hide? the beauty of God's design, while the world promotes the satisfying freedom of His counterfeit? Why would the church be silent about what God says is so good when the world unashamedly proclaims the beauty of life outside of His design? Because you need to hear very clearly this morning, it is a lie. It is the sweet words of an adulteress. It's a trap. So we need to hear what God's design is all about and what He promises when we live inside of it. That's why the Father explains to His Son 
the beauty of love inside the covenant commitment of a marriage between one man and one woman for a lifetime. That's his design. He tells him to drink water from his own cistern, fresh water from his own well instead of getting water from the streams that flow in the streets. I want you to think about the the imagery that he's using here. This water from a well versus this stream that flows in the street. What's the difference between those two? See, I happen to know a little bit about that because my house is just outside the city limits. And so our house, the water provided for us, is from a well. And you need to know that that well is a part of my private property. It belongs to no one else. And that water has been purified as it seeps through the soil and it goes straight into my house and we can drink it right out of the faucet. But a stream's different, isn't it? How many of you went backpacking this last week? All right? I'm going to ask you some questions. When you went backpacking, Gus, where did you get your water? From the stream, right? And there were other people there, right, besides your group, probably 50, 100 more people. Where did they get their water? The same place. That's the difference between a well that is private property and a stream that is public property. Now, Gus, what did you have to do after you got that water? Did you just put it in a cup and drink it? You had to purify it. Because it's full of all kinds of disease and pollution. Because it's public. Which is altogether different than what you get from your well. That is private. That's pure. The point is this. God created the marriage relationship to be a covenant commitment of love between a husband and a wife and it is private property it belongs to no one else their intimacy is pure and undefiled within the context of that god-ordained marriage relationship the father actually describes it with very descriptive words satisfying exhilarating That idea of exhilarating means to be captivated by a love. The father wants his son to understand that the covenant bond of marriage has a love that is a blessing to both the husband and the wife. And not just them. The covenant love of marriage is a blessing to the kids, to the family. It's a blessing to the grandkids. It's a blessing to the entire community of God. I am convinced without a shadow of a doubt that this church is made stronger because of the strength of strong and faithful marriages. That's the way God designed it. Which is why the father turns to the son in verse 20. And look at what he says. If that's the way God has designed it, then why in the world would you be captivated by the deception of something outside of His design? Tell me, son, if God's done this, why would you go anywhere else? Why would you forfeit God's blessing in exchange for the lies of the world? Because here's the deal. As he says in verse 21, the Father sees them both. God sees them both. And he promises to bring blessing to that which is in his design and judgment upon that which is not. 
the one who walks away from God, will be captured by the cords of sin. Remember, the adulteress entices you with the intent to kill. She's baiting you into a trap, knowing that you've got to leave your faithfulness of one in order to follow faithfully for the other. So don't be a fool. Always trust. Listen to me. Trust that God's design is best in all aspects of life. Now, as we finish up this morning, I want you to know that our passage really does focus on this idea of sexual fidelity. And there's an important message in there in that regard. But like I said during communion, I believe that that marriage relationship is symbolic for more than that. Both our commitment to God and our commitment to marriage are covenant commitments. Very often, the symbolism of marriage in Scripture is intended to represent the faithfulness of our relationship with God and His faithfulness to us. And so I want you to keep that in mind as we consider the application. You need to understand that God didn't love you because you were lovely. You realize that, right? You were dead. Dead in your trespasses and sins. But God, because of His great love for you, made you alive together with Christ. A covenant commitment is an unconditional commitment. You didn't merit His favor. He gave it to you freely, even when you didn't deserve it. That's the connection that you see with the marriage relationship because it's intended to be the same. And God is faithful to love us in that way. And like a marriage, God wants us to be exclusively satisfied in Him. He wants our identity to be exclusively made through our relationship with Him. So with that in mind, I want you to consider that the temptation of the adulteress, the invitation of her sweet words, really includes anything that draws you away from dependence upon Christ. For example, the adulteress could be your job. The adulteress could be your grades, your wealth, your pride. You see, the Bible says that God is a jealous God. How does that strike you? I know when I first heard that, I thought, well, that doesn't sound right. Jealousy's not good, is it? And here's why it says that God is a jealous God. Because He understands the pain and and destruction that we will encounter when we seek to have our deepest needs satisfied in anything other than Him. So He is jealous for you to find everything you need met through your relationship with Him. It's a protective love by living inside of His design. He calls us to be exclusively satisfied in Him to believe His words of truth over anything else that we might hear. And the world is full of those sweet lies. He wants us to be convinced that there is no greater treasure than the privilege of entering into fellowship with the triune God. To, as Ephesians describes it, to be chosen by the Father. 
to be saved by the Son, to be sealed in the Spirit. I want you to think about this. This is a mind blower. You, as a child of God, have been invited into the fellowship of the Holy Trinity. And let me ask you this. If that's the case, then is there anyone who knows you better than the one who created you? Is there anyone who loves you more than the one who redeemed you? Why would you go anywhere else? So let me encourage you to take some time this week to sit down over a meal with your family or with your friends and here's the topic of your conversation. How much does God love you? And I want you to talk about this because I want you to describe ways that you know that He does. What has He done? What has He said? How has He revealed His love for you? And talk about that. And then in that same conversation, maybe you consider if that's how He's devoted to you, then what does that do about your desire to be devoted to Him? Not out of obligation, but out of gratitude. A loving response to His loving commitment. That's the relationship He desires to have. And so I would encourage you to have that conversation with those that you care about this week and, and rejoice in that. Be glad in what God has done and the relationship that He's called you into. And let it be a reminder not to go anywhere else not to depend on anyone else's opinion other than the way God sees you. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the descriptiveness of your word. I'm grateful that you don't shy away from using very descriptive words to describe both the destruction of folly when living outside of your design and the beauty of and satisfaction when we do live inside your design. I pray that this morning that there would be a commitment of the bride of Christ to be faithful in their relationship to their Savior, Jesus Christ. That when they leave this place, that they can't stop thinking about how much you love them. How you've demonstrated that. How you've communicated that. And it would stir within them a desire of gratitude to be faithfully committed to you and to rest in the assurance that the very best that life has to offer is reserved within the context of your beautiful design. And may they seek it. May they be faithful to it. May we as a church body encourage each other in it so that ultimately you are glorified by it that the church would display the manifold wisdom of God. And people would say, oh, that's what it looks like. Father, thank you for the reminder this morning. Music, communion, your word, to the praise and glory of your name. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have a great day.